welcome to episode two of Omerta Black. I am Mansa Baku, and this is where real rhetoric is spoken and historical bread is broken. Thank you for joining me for this fellowship of decolonized minds. In today's joint, you will learn of the first blacks to make American Indians pay for what they did. We will spotlight one of the world's great black unsung heroes. Of course, Petey Too Small will stop by for the wine glass grapevine and fill y'all in on some things. He said he had some fun he wanted to do with you, so we'll see about it. And later, I will unpack the main thing. Today, we will get into time and how it ain't forever. And in the sapiosexual session, we will talk about authenticity and how to be authentic. But first, smoke break. This episode is brought to you by Baku Olo Rooms Omerta Black Voodoo, a novel about love, loyalty, and legacy. Jacob Playaway is an unabashed writer who tells the truth about the history of his people. And for it, he has to evade the structure's insubordinate agitator stamp, which would mark him as a dead man. It just so happens that he is also the orchestrator of a cryptic order, an outlaw outfit known as the fam. He and his brothers belong to something. Everyone has an assignment and no one violates the code. They have a custom of respect a small nation that furnishes its own doctrine of justice, retribution, and shameless pursuits of happiness. While Jacob tries to keep one half of his life in urban legend, if not a complete secret altogether, his other half meets an eccentric voodoo priestess who takes him on an unexpected spiritual journey. Omerta Black Voodoo, available on Amazon. Get your copy today. What's happening, family? As always, we will begin the show with That's It, That's All. Really quickly, I'm going to run through one or two funny things going on out here that I feel should be addressed. What I say, I mean, and what I mean, I stand on, and it's non-negotiable. That's it. That's all. Number one, let's go ahead and get off Uncle G. I I think it's a consensus now that uh, Gene Wine's pony is now a weary mule. So I think we can let Uncle G slide on by. Number two. If you a grown ass person out here and you walking around with a body odor, you need to figure that out. There is no reason you should be a grown adult going around smelling like the bottom of a birdcage. Enough is enough. And we all know we all know the contributing factors. Look them up. Google it. Punch it up on Google. Number one, diet. Stop eating all that dead flesh. You smell like a cemetery because your gut is filled with dead animals. Figure that out. Now, if you have a B.O. because of a health condition, then I understand. But if you walking around smelling like boiled cabbage because you don't feel like getting in the tub. Man, listen, I digress. It is time for the African spotlight. This is a moment we take to pay homage to a great person of African ancestry. And today's great person of African ascendance is Yaqub Ibn Yusuf, which means Yaqub, son of Yusuf. He was better known as Al-Mansur. He was perhaps the greatest, most powerful and most revered of the Moorish rulers of Spain, which they renamed Al-Andalus, meaning to walk in spiritual light. All of Spain, parts of Portugal and parts of southern France that the Moors controlled, around that, you know, border between southern France and Spain, all of that was called and referred to as all Andalus. All means the, under means divine, divine, and loose means light. So to walk in spiritual light. All right. Al-Mansur was also one of the most enlightened, charismatic, and honorable of the Moorish rulers. His assumed name, Al-Mansur, literally translates to mean the invincible. And this was no hyperbole. This brother defeated every single enemy that rose up against him. In all the 15 years that he ruled and reigned over the Moorish Empire, he never lost a single battle. Not one. Some background on Al-Mansur. His father, Yusuf, was a mixed man of African ancestry. Most likely, Yusuf was mixed with African and Arab or Arab. Here's, a, here's, here's something I want y'all to always remember, though. 
there's no such thing as an Arab or Arab. An Arab is simply an African who lived in Arabia and over time his lineage mixed with Europeans, Mesopotamians, Asians, and other non-African people. And over time, you get enough of those people in one place. Well, they're no longer pure African. They look nothing like European and they are not Asian. So what are they? That's how they got Arab. Some historians, including myself, we don't we refer to them as Afrabs because they they hate to be reminded of their African ancestry. I'm going to remind them, though. All mother was pure African, though. And records point to the likelihood that she was brought from either Timbuktu or Senegal. Mansour's rise to power came in 1184 when his father Yusuf was killed while trying to capture the city of Santarim in Portugal. Mansour swore to get revenge for his father's death. Now, before he could exact his plan for retribution, he was imprisoned in Africa by the Almoravids, the dynasty which his family, the Almohads, had overthrown and kicked off the throne. In this fight, the Arabs sided with the Almoravids, but by 1189, the Almohads had soundly beating them, beat them to the point where they could no longer rebel or put up a fight. And with this, Al-Mansur gathered an army of 10,000 soldiers and cavalry and set out to reconquer Spain and Portugal, which the Almoravids had let the white Christians retake. So Al-Mansur marched on Santarim, the place of his father's demise. He destroyed it completely. And from there, he captured city after city, including Lisbon. But remember when I said that Mansour had squashed the Almoravids and the Arabs into submission and that they could no longer rebel? Well, as you will learn with history, this is never the case. As soon as Mansour left to conquer Spain and Portugal, a group of Almoravids who had been basically sleeper cells, they had been kept quiet and told to hush until the time was right. Well, as soon as Al-Mansour left for Spain, the Almoravids start making noise in Africa. But as soon as Mansour got word of it, he turned around, headed back to Africa with riches and 3,000 Christian captives, most of whom were, were women and children. The leader of the little uprising in Africa by the Almoravids was a man named Yaya, who took off running into the Sahara when he found out Mansour was headed back. But here comes the dilemma of the leader, of the conqueror, of the ruler. For as soon as he conquered Spain and then returned to Africa to see what the noise was from the few Almoravids, the damn Christians in Spain who were whites, mostly from German ancestry, they began their own all-out attack on the Moors in Spain. Always remember that though Spain sounds exotic and you tend to think that those living in Spain or who come from Spain are people of color like you, nope. They are, in fact, white folks who speak Spanish. That's it. Present day folks living in Spain are more of a mixture of whites, Arabs and Africans. At the same time, the Christian Crusades were going on. And so the whites in Spain allied themselves with the English Crusaders and went throughout Spain recapturing cities. That was until 1191, though, because when Mansur returned back to Spain, oh, he put a whooping on them white folks. He chained them 50 by 50 took them to Africa and sold them into indentured servitude. Remember, Africa, I don't care what y'all heard, it was, there was no slavery in Africa. The only people who were ever captured in Africa that somebody could argue was a slave, they were actually prisoners of war. If I captured you, that means me and you were beefing. We start fighting, you lost, I captured you. I didn't put you into slavery. I put you into indentured servitude, which means, guess what? For you going against me in battle, you going to work off this debt. And when you work off this debt, you free. In some cases, some folks who were indentured servant worked off their debt and did such a good job that they were promoted into positions of authority and positions of power. So there was no slavery in Africa. There was indentured servitude. I'll unpack that later, too, or in a later pod, because it's listen, this shit I kicked to y'all, this shit deep. And it takes longer than an hour podcast to break down. So now that he was back in Africa, he had also gotten sick with fever. The whites in Spain heard of this and again gathered another army, again aided by the English Crusaders. Side note, the Christian Crusades or what the American schools called the Crusades were a campaign of killing 
that the Pope himself sanctioned, which saw armies of white folks go throughout Europe on their way to Palestine to unseat the Muslims there and reestablish their white version of Christianity. That's what the Crusades were. I remember hearing about the Crusades in school. They never said anything about Christian Christianity being the uh, the driving force of these white folks going throughout Europe and Northeast Africa killing folks. Oh, but please join me over on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Mansabaku. I am unpacking the story of the Moors and how they ruled Europe in a three part series. Part one is already up. But I get into the Crusades and I tell y'all how these white folks went from city to city. And when they got hungry, they ate your ass. They literally carved you up and ate your ass. The leader of that army, they always say the meat on your ass for the leader. So he literally ate your ass, like literally ate your ass. Nevertheless, they like to leave the Christian off. So that you don't know that they were killing masses of people for no reason other than their God told them to. The white Christians won several battles in Spain before Mansoor arrived once more to see if they were really about their life. Alas, the number of whites taken out was a crazy number. Some historians say Mansoor killed 146,000 of his enemies. Mansoor then went out capturing so-called Christian strongholds such as Guadalajara, Madrid, Salamanca, and Toledo. Upon arriving in Toledo, where one of the Christian commanders Alfonso and his family were hiding out, Mansoor was set on destroying the city until Alfonso's mother, wife, and children came out with tears in their eyes begging him for mercy. Mansoor, a generous, noble man, as I stated earlier, not only showed mercy, but he sent them back to Alfonso and wherever they were hiding out. He sent them back there with gifts. This black man ready to set fire to the city where his enemy is hiding out shows mercy. Not only mercy, he sent the mother, wife and children of his enemy back to his enemy with riches, gifts, as for the 24,000 Christian prisoners of war he had captured during the battles, he set them free just like that. He, however, later called this one of the greatest mistakes he's ever made. Actually, he called this one of the three biggest mistakes he ever made during his rule. Why? Because those captives whom he let free continued the fight against him. Fortunately, no matter how galvanized the white Christians were, they could never defeat Mansoor, and so they entered a 10-year peace treaty. He now went back to Africa, but this time he had plans to free Egypt from the grips of non-black control. But before he could set those plans into motion, he died on March 20th, 1199 at the age of 50. And as stated earlier, he had ruled for 15 years, so he was in his 15th year of ruling the Moorish Empire. Mansoor believed strongly in justice charity and improving the quality of life for all some of his accomplishments included he freed all who were unjustly imprisoned he reformed laws to prevent the weak from being preyed upon by the elite he increased the salaries of priests and holy men he implemented a public works program that oversaw the building and rebuilding of cities mosques schools hospitals and waterways he built the city of rabat which is the capital of morocco many historians cite Mansoor as the most magnificent and the most powerful of the Moorish rulers of Europe. His kingdom stretched from the Atlantic Ocean along the Mediterranean to the borders of Egypt and even included Mauritania, Morocco, Algeria, Tunis, and most of Spain and Portugal. Let us say Ashanti to Al-Mansur, the black sultan of Spain who showed what African agency looks like and who was never defeated by anyone in battle. He was indeed the Michael Jordan, the Barack Obama, the Martin Luther King of the Moors who ruled in Europe. Al-Mansur is the epitome of black excellence. So many times we get hung up on personal preferences and, oh, oh, he's a Muslim. Mm-mm, I was raised Christian, so I can't I can't follow him. I can't I can't receive his message. And that's the problem. We get hung up on religion. 
and we get hung up on personality so much to where we miss a fundamental beneficial message just because we don't like the, the messenger. Forget the messenger, get the message. As Eckhart teaches us, don't be the beggar on the side of the road sitting on the wooden box begging everybody for a message. But then when a teacher comes along and asks you what you're sitting on and you say, oh, nothing, just an old box, ain't nothing in it. And the teacher asks you, well, have you looked in it to make sure ain't nothing in it? And you say no. And then you look in the box and all of a sudden it's the message you've been needing the whole time. You never know what teacher, what messenger will serve as that wooden box. So don't miss your message just because you don't like the messenger. Smoke break. This episode is brought to you by Baku Olorun's Dovetail Gypsy Skin, an inspirational, provocative, and rich body of poetic prose. This collection offers numbing narratives, mindful moments, and sensational sentiments. Dovetail Gypsy Skin gives voice to the way we love each other, the way we see ourselves, the way we deal with loss, the ways we are affected by societal issues, all of which combine to form vivid depictions of life as seen through the eyes of the storyteller dovetail gypsy skin available on amazon get your copy today all right let us keep the main thing the main thing let's talk about time and how it ain't forever i study time i often reflect upon time i like to think about time and how we use it what are we using it for how do we use it and the thing you come to learn but to almost dread about time is that no matter your position in the family no matter your influence in society your political rank no matter how humble you are no matter how egoic you are regardless of any of the trappings but regardless of any of the joys of life Time shows no favor, it has no prejudice, and it knows no bound. It simply waits for no one, and everyone has an expiration date. From the grandest of us, Michael Jackson, Prince, Whitney, James Brown, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. The interesting fact about time is that when the transition happens, when the present turns into the past, and when the future sets in, everybody can go. This is the wisdom of us using time wisely, knowing that any of these days yet to come and including today could be the day earmarked for us. Now, this isn't a pod about death or getting old. I want to talk to you about using time and how to enjoy every minute of it while also reflecting on how to use it to reveal to you things you must know so that you can pass it along to your children, your nieces, your nephews. I would first like to congratulate you all, though, because if you're listening to me right now, that means you made it another day. And every day is another chance to get it right. Now, I remember growing up, and I never knew what the old heads meant when I was little and they would always marvel at how big I was getting. You know, we do it right now. You know, when we see our nieces, when we see our nephews and I guarantee if you have children, every birthday of theirs, you mention how big they're getting. Now, what I come to realize is that subconsciously and consciously for some of us, if it's like that. But I know for the most part, it not only is a literal hint at how the little one is growing, at how I was growing or at my growth, but it was a reminder to them at how much older they were getting so that it really was a matter of time. Have you ever, or better yet, when was the last time you hugged your child where you just looked at them and you instantly were taken back to when they were younger? three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, when they were a baby. You think time travel is impossible, but really take time to appreciate your loved ones and allow your mind to roll back through time and in your memories. This is how you time travel. I was having a conversation with my baby 
my little shorty a couple of weeks ago and I was telling her how when we watch these movies and we see these folks trying to travel back through time or trying to travel forward in time, I told her, now, I don't know how the time traveling forward will work, but I can say that to travel backwards, all you need to do is sit, quiet yourself, close your eyes, meditate, and let your mind roll back through all your memories. And that is how you time travel. For those of us who have lost someone near and dear to us, you become eerily intimate with time because, well, especially if the person you lost was like, for instance, me. It was my superwoman who was lost. It was my mother. So you become privately acquainted with how time shows no mercy. It doesn't ask you if you're ready for things to happen. It doesn't care what you feel. It doesn't request your opinion. It simply does its thing. That puts me in the mind always of one of my spiritual and literary grandmothers, Maya Angelou, when she says, I haven't gotten time to waste. I have work to do. It would kill me if I died right now. So with that said, we must expose our children to culturally rich material while we have time. Take them to the museum. Take them to Disney World if you can. Take them on vacations to the corner store that you used to go to when you were younger. Take them to the neighborhood that you grew up in. Take them to see things that convince them that they too are worth something very valuable and that they too can become whatever it is that they aspire to be because though they may get older and not remember any of these things, there will always be that seed within them that resonates when they come across something that reminds them of that experience. Something in them will know, I know this from somewhere. That's why we take our young children and expose them to culture. We know we, we don't remember what happened last month. But we expose ourselves to things so that when we come across things, deja vu can happen and we can be reminded that we've had that experience. Eckhart Tolle teaches us that if you really want to touch the very essence of life, what you must do is meditate on your own mortality. Yes, think deeply about when your time will come to join the ancestors. I do this often and I can tell you firsthand that you will have a sense of urgency like no other. There will be a fire lit under your tail to get up and go do what it is that only you can do. Because like I told you previously, everyone has a path that only they can travel. And this is why it is a fool's errand for you to imitate other people, for you to try to go after what other people going after, for you to compare yourself to other people, because they have their own journeys to take. So you doing all that is the same as you following up behind them on their journey. You got to get to your journey. So learn to forgive while you have time. My God, this is the hardest thing to do. Because in fact, forgiving someone who you know has wronged you in a terrible way is almost contradictory. It's almost counterproductive, counterintuitive. But grace and love says that while you have the time, this is one of the virtues you must learn so that you can free yourself before your expiration date. And you remember previously when I was talking about the game in the last pod, breaking down James and Nikki and how we must give the game to our children. Well, this is the game. The game is understanding that you have a certain amount of time to free yourself and free your mind and free your soul, and free your spirit from the tormenting shackles of society and the hive mind. So the game is, you were born, you were fine. The things you will go through from the time you enter school, enter society, enter the workforce, enter your workplace, all that, those things will try to define you. They will try to tell you who you are, what you should do, what you should be. When you enter this social arena, 
the influence will be so heavy for you to go against what you know is you that that becomes the game. The game becomes before your expiration date, take off all of those social, political, societal garments and show your nakedness, your natural beauty by the end of this thing we call life. Some of us get there faster. And so you can enjoy more of your life as your natural naked self. Those are the ones we call the enlightened ones. Those are the ones that include Buddha, Christ, Haru, Ma'at, Akhenaten, Imhotep. These are the ones that we look at and say, oh, they got to the, they got to the enlightenment quickly. How can I do that? Well, this is what you have to do. You have to understand time, use it wisely and use it to your benefit. Now, it is not too difficult to blame someone who isn't you. But the truth is, and it is this way all the time, your past decisions are responsible for your current situation. What people do or do to you are mere details in the story of your life. They're details in the story of your life. Again, they are details because the story is, in fact, your decisions the story the narrative is all about what did you do because if you read a story and the entire story is about a character but it's not about what the character does the story is about everything everybody else does to the character that story gonna get old stale and boring very quickly because the story is always about what did the character do so nobody cares about who did what to you who said what about you What we care about is, what did you do? What did you say? It is easy to forget that many times to other people, we are that person who did the wrong. We all deal with the same set of challenges to our maturity, the same set of hurdles to our enlightenment. But it takes a lot of courage to forgive. But that courage is what is necessary to look at yourself in the mirror because after all, what you see in other people is exactly what you see. When you look in the mirror, what we need to do with time is care for it responsibly. In my Bamelike tradition and culture, we use time for practical purposes, you know, appointments, engagements, etc. But outside of the everyday tasks that require time, we don't really consider it. We simply enjoy the present moment at every turn because the present moment is really all there is. Right now is all that there is. When the present moment isn't honored, you become panic-stricken. You begin to clasp and reach and claw for material things that you think are important. But what's crazy is you do it at the expense of stepping on your neighbor. Or you chase these trinkets while throwing away your morals, your standards, your values, what you stand for. Now, I want to talk about a critical aspect of using time. Make time for your folks. Don't wait until it's too late to go see about your folks. When was the last time you visited family? When was the last time you checked on your grandparents? You know, when was the last time you sat and just talked with your loved ones and lost track of time? When was the last time you gathered and told stories, recalled memories of back in the day and and you did it to the point to where you could smell the food that was being cooked at that time? The cold-blooded truth about time is that when it passes and our loved ones, our folks pass with it, they don't come back, at least in the physical. So I encourage you to hug your parents and, oh God, please kiss your grandparents. Pick the brains of your elders. Have them pass down the customs and traditions of your family to you because when they're gone, they are gone. And when we use time, let us use it in a pure and distilled way let us really enjoy ourselves i think time is to be used in a way so beautiful that we get lost in it matter of fact i want to share with you something that uh i wrote it is to be included in an upcoming novel i'm working on tentatively titled stolen hours it goes if she could bask in the excitement of the lionized deep breath she could enjoy the joy within her 
but there is only shallow panting on 12-hour shifts and the sleep debt and deprivation is so emotive that everything is a blur. That, that right there embodies the use of time and how we already deal with so much on our 9-to-5s or on our 6-to-6s. So much stuff that we have to dedicate time to because we have bills. We have food that must be put on the table. We have clothes that must be purchased for our children. We have activities that must be paid for so that our so that we and our children can enjoy life. All these things require payment. Payment is made by you giving your time and knowledge to a certain area, a certain profession. So then most of us are in a position where we only have a good 16 or so hours of free time every week after you take out the time you work, the time you have to sleep, you're probably working with a limited amount of time. And after all, age is a concept that means nothing. Every time we deny ourselves a desire or goal because of age, we put another fence around our minds As for me, I prefer to live without fences. When people ask me how old I am, I tell them I'm 119 because our business is to live in the moment, do the things we love and keep our hearts open. You understand what I'm saying? And one of the greatest lessons I've learned about time is that lovers make a fool of it. When we are in love or loving our person, time disappears. When you make love, who cares about time? Who cares about what time it is? My motto is do what you love so much that you escape from time by forgetting about it. We cannot get to happiness by doing what makes us unhappy. And we always have enough time to do what we love and to be with who we love. There is this commonality, this hopeful potentiality in us. In this life, we are all on our individual journeys and we are all on them with the same time with the same protective instinct to save this one thing, your ability to touch and your ability to be touched by someone. Smoke break. This episode is also brought to you by Baku Olorun's The Resurrection Papers, Truth Rising from the Memory Hole. The Resurrection Papers will open your eyes to the enormous information hidden in the memory hole. Now, what's the memory hole? The vast majority of history has been whitewashed for the purpose of social engineering. And the truth about history is what lies in the memory hole. This book will help you to uncover solutions to many of the problems facing us today and embolden you to take action to define your own reality. Baku Olorun's The Resurrection Papers is available on Amazon. Get your copy right now. Welcome back, y'all. Y'all know who this is because it don't sound like Mansa do it. This is Peter Too Small. I met y'all last week. Uh... In today's wine glass grapevine, so I guess I'll be doing the wine glass grapevines from now on. We gonna have to figure out the pay, cause I don't know if I'ma quit my real job to do this little shit. But uh, today I wanted to play guess their age with a couple celebrities. It's actually more than a couple, but y'all are enjoy it, cause somebody asked me Jesus' age this morning. Uh, young Jesus. And I was like, shit, I don't know, that nigga been out for a minute, so, shit, I just guessed 45. And that nigga actually 45. But how old y'all think Viola Davis is? Because she just played the lead character in uh, Woman King. Viola is actually 57. She looks beautiful for her age. How old y'all think SZA is? Y'all know SZA, shit, y'all don't know none of her songs, but y'all know SZA, you know, uh, SZA 32, so, she gonna have to drop some more music, cause since she's 32, Snoop Dogg, how old y'all think Snoop Dogg is, Snoop, Snoop is on Mount Rushmore with Too Short, E-40, and Ice Cube, Snoop Dogg is my nigga, I love Uncle Snoop, Uncle Snoop is 51, Snoop look good for 51. Yeah. I'm going to throw y'all for a loop. How old y'all think Taylor Swift is? Because she been out for a minute. Taylor Swift seemed like she been 16 for 20 years. So how old y'all think Taylor Swift is? I think Taylor Swift probably about 
30. Well, it don't matter because it says she's 32. Chris Brown, how old y'all think Chris is? Chris been in the game for about 16. Shit, when he come out? 2004, 5. 2005, somewhere around there. So Chris was 16 when he came out with Running featuring Jewel Santana. So Chris got a. Chris 33, goddamn. Okay. How old is Rihanna? Rihanna 34. Oh, Rihanna, Rihanna look good to be 34. Just had her first baby at 34. She look good. Her boyfriend, ASAP Rocky, 34 too. So, okay, they got something in common. Look Dirt. How old is Look Dirt? Hmm. Look Dirt. Look Dirt 30. Okay, he 30. He getting up there. Okay. He doing his thing. Kendrick Lamar, 35. That's cool. I ain't even make y'all guess that one, so. Okay. How y'all think T.I. is? T.I. came out with 24s in 2003. Four, five, somewhere. Somewhere around there. Circle 2005. Okay. Uh, tip is 42. Damn, they getting old. How does 2 chains? 2 chains got to be about 50. Nope. He's 45. Gone, 2 Chain. Titty Boy. Formerly known as Titty Boy. Yo Gotti. How old is Yo Gotti? Now, I made a comment earlier that Yo Gotti... Nah, I like Yo Gotti. Yo Gotti is 41. Nicki Minaj. How y'all think Nicki is? Nicki been in the game for a minute now. She look... She look... She look seasoned. 40 years old. 40 goes to Nicki. How y'all think Usher is? Because Usher's still out here doing his thing, look like. I don't know about music-wise, but as far as performance, he still seemed like he he better than Genuine. Is, I know that. Usher is 44. Country Grammar. How y'all think Country Grammar is? That's Nelly. Nelly about to blow y'all mind. Nelly is old as fuck, and y'all don't know it. But he look good, though. Nelly is 47 years old. You know. All right. Uh, I don't think y'all care how old Ludacris is, but if y'all do, he 45. Queen Latifah is... Queen Latifah look good to be 52. Pharrell. How old is Pharrell? The, the music producer. Pharrell is... Pharrell old as hell, too. Pharrell 49. God, dog. Now, here go one that's gonna surprise y'all, but in the other way. How y'all think T-Pain is? T-Pain is a whopping young 38. I could have swore T-Pain was 49. T-Pain seemed like he didn't... Well, that's what that liquor will do to you, too. It'll age you. But T-Pain is only 38. How y'all think Kanye is? How old is Kanye? Kanye is 45. Here goes some people y'all where y'all are like, Ari. How old is Ari Lennox? Because I like Ari. I like, yeah, I like Ari. Ari is 31. Now here go another one that's going to surprise you because she just a baby. How old is her? Is it her or is it H-E-R? How, I think she pronounces it her. How old is her? 25. She only 25. Lord have mercy. How old is Jasmine Sullivan? Because I like Jasmine, too. Jasmine is only 35. How old is Glorilla? Now, this is a fun fact. Glorilla's real name is Gloria Hallelujah. Some, her last name is some. But Gloria Hallelujah is her first and middle name. So can you imagine her mama naming her Gloria Hallelujah? And, you know, well... Y'all know the song she sang, but Glorilla is only 23. She was born in 1999, so that explains a lot. She was born during the, you know, girl, you look good once you back that thing up era, you know, so she is a real cash money millionaire. Uh, Janae, how old is Janae? 
Janae's having her second baby by Big Well, her first baby by Big Sean, but her second baby all together. Um, she's 34. How did how y'all thought I had another one? Shit, I'm tired. He ain't paying me that much to do all this. Uh, so I'm gonna go on out here and um get some of this food off this table out here in the lobby and going on about my business. I'll be back next week, y'all, with some more wine glass grapevine. And we gonna have to get some damn wine. How's the wine glass grapevine with no wine? It's just the grapevine. So we gonna work on that next episode. I'm gonna have to go out here and tell Mensa to get some wine. Because he's still on a smoke break. Matter of fact, my baby mama supposed to be picking me up. And he'd fuck around and be out there trying to straighten up her life. And I like my woman ratchet. So I'm going to have to go save her from him trying to save her from herself. And everybody just going to be saved. So I holla at y'all. Welcome back. And it is time to hear a dirty little secret from the memory hole of history. These secrets that are revealed are facts, are the missing pages of history. They are truths about black history, U.S. history, and world history that they, whoever they are, would rather you never know. These secrets you can research for yourself. Wonderful sources such as Dr. Claude Anderson, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, George G.M. James, J.A. Rogers. Check them out. And with that said, today's dirty little secret from the memory hole is Here's the truth about the first blacks to hold Indians accountable. Immediately following the Civil War, former black Union soldiers were converted into Buffalo soldiers. They had their post reassigned and their new duties were to police the developing Western frontier. Now, this was the first time that the black Buffalo soldiers got a chance to reverse the roles with the American Indians who had sided with the white folks in slavery and in the Civil War. So for y'all that don't know, the slaveholders employed Indians, certain Indian tribes, and those Indian tribes' job was to bring back black runaways. That's why I always encourage folks to pause with the whole I got Indian in my family thing, because you may have any Indian in your family, but you may have Indian in your family because they raped one of your ancestors on their way to take her back to the plantation. So you always have to do your research and know what you're talking about before you get out here boasting and bragging about something. You have no history, no knowledge of its history. Black Buffalo soldiers fought successful battles with various Indian tribes from the Mississippi River all the way to California. One black Buffalo soldier even wrote a poem that showed how proud he was to be black. The poem also reflects the confidence that he had in his military skill as well as in, in his, his, his comrades. Here's a passage from the poem. The ninth marched out with splendid cheer, the bad lands to explore. With Colonel Henry at their head, they never feared the foe. So on they rode from Christmas Eve till dawn of Christmas Day. The Redskins heard the ninth was near and they fled in great dismay. Problems between Indians and black folks continue to this day. Prior to 1970, American Indians filed and were accepted as a subcategory of whites. They received reparation benefits by claiming even the smallest, most infinitesimal, microscopic amount of Indian blood. Blacks and Indians, now, yes, we occasionally commingled, cohabitated, and reproduced. Over the 400 years, we both were suffering under the terroristic presence of Europeans. That much is true. But today, Indian tribes, especially the Cherokee and the Seminoles, have petitioned the federal government to keep blacks out and away from any claims to have Indian blood. That way, they that way, any black folks claiming to be Indians do not get to participate in receiving any type of land grant any type of inherited right or financial settlement right between the federal government and what they give Indians. And since there are no benefits associated to being black, like most other so-called people of color do, they disassociate themselves with black folks collectively. 
And this has been today's Dirty Little Secret from the Memory Hole. Don't believe a word I tell you. Go research it for yourself and let me know what you find out. Smoke break. Welcome back. And we are now in the sapiosexual session where a thought-provoking question is asked and we explore it. We unpack it. The question for today is, how can I be authentic? I want to preface this by saying that some of what I express to you and how I think you can live authentically is rooted in the philosophies of Friedrich Nietzsche, a sound mind and spirit in the field of cultural critique as well as existentialism. So consider this quote from Nietzsche. He says, No price is too high to pay for the privilege of owning oneself. So I ask you, do you own yourself? First of all, do you know what owning oneself means? I can tell you that if you imitate anyone in any area of your life, then you do not own yourself because imitation and emulation are very different. Let's talk about it. An existentialist view which I hold about life is that freedom and agency is at the heart of the human experience and that one should seek to overcome all challenges to one's freedom. All values, interests, principles ought to be based on this thinking, according to me. So in other words, your ability to carry out your will, your ability to in your heart decide what you want to do with your life and have it be your individual choice that is at the heart of the human experience this goes back to my mantra one should not be told what to think but one should be encouraged at all times to think for oneself this is your life okay so we are trying to get you to understand the agency you have with your life after this i can then say that authenticity is the degree to how closely your demonstration matches your values, interests, and principles. All of those combine to form your beliefs. And authenticity is not hard to spot because it stands out in that it often fights against the hive mind of popular belief and mainstream thinking. So now that we got what authenticity is, let's get to some ways we can begin to start living authentically. Number one, Accept yourself always and in all ways. It is one of the great myths of this life that you will become happy, satisfied, or that you will be able to live how you want once you make it, once you become successful in whatever it is you, you, you're doing. The truth is you are already complete right now. And the adventure of life, if you want to take the long route, is that you will have to go through the 10,000 things before you realize this, before you realize you have been complete all along and that this entire journey of life has led you back to the beginning, you. It has always been about you, your thinking, your actions, your values, your interests, your principles. What do you stand for? All those things and then your decisions based on those things, all those things accumulate to show you who you are in the present moment. Or in other words, Every decision you've made in your life up to this point has led you to where you are right now, good, bad, or indifferent. Now, if you're like me and you're like, let me get the shortcut, then simply realize that you are already complete right now. You don't necessarily need to go through the 10,000 things to realize who you are. Realize who you are right now and stand on that. Or like Rudy Ray Moore said back in the day, put your weight on it. And I want you to begin to peacefully force the world to deal with the real you, the authentic you. You are who you are, not by imitating so-called role models, but by taking all the experiences of your life and using that like an artist used this paint. And then you create the masterpiece that is your authentic self. Better yet, you don't even create anything. Rather, you just allow the masterpiece to reveal itself to you. Here's a pro tip for allowing your authenticity to reveal itself. Transform your weaknesses into your strengths. Transform the ugly into the awe-inspiring. 
Say you're like me and you struggle with road rage or driving while other bad drivers just happen to be on the road with you at the same time. Instead of, and this is what I had to learn, expending a tremendous amount of energy every time you get on the road and you allow slow drivers and folks who turn without signaling and people who text while driving and end up sitting at the green light five seconds after it turned green with their head down. Instead of allowing all that to frustrate you, transform it and understand that you're out here to show folks how good driving is done. I now use it all as a practice of patience and it gets tedious. It does. It gets cumbersome. You know, it gets worrisome. It gets agonizing. But I use it as a practice of patience. Now, this leads to another tip. Learn how to solve problems and remain authentic to yourself at all times. This means being able to accept what others feel or think while still meaning what you said. So this means that you can apologize and still mean what you said. You can apologize for the delivery, but still emphasize the meaning of what you said, the meaning of the message you were trying to get across. Don't bite your tongue. Go with what you feel. Understand how it should be delivered and mean what you said, because that goes back to the previous point. Stand on what you mean, because what you said is based off your values, interests and principles in the first place. Right. So people who constantly take back what they say and, oh, I didn't mean that. And all that's inauthenticity, baby. Number two, don't be a follower. Create your own path and follow it. For Nietzsche said that there is one path in the world that none can walk but you. With this in mind, I ask, now, how do you look trying to imitate somebody else and walk somebody else's path when you have a path that no one on earth can travel but you? You busy in somebody else's lane when you have a lane yourself that you have to attend to. Now, it's very easy to see someone on their path accomplishing things and making big strides and fall into the trap of jumping over to that person's path because you don't want the challenges of your path. But let's be clear. It is imperative that you go through the difficulties of your own path because the lessons you learn provide the wisdom that allows you to be authentic. Through trial and error, you come to know what you know and you stand on that shit. You don't let anyone convince you of something that you know by your own experience is simply stupid or doesn't work. We all have the divine in us. It's that voice you hear. Okay, try this. Let's become quiet. Close your eyes for a moment. And without saying anything out loud, say your name in your head. Now, you heard yourself loud and clear, right? But nothing was said out loud. Who you heard say your name, that's the divine. That's the higher self. That's consciousness. That's God. That is what you must begin to listen to and consult regularly, if not at all times, if you truly want to be authentic. Why is this relevant? Because most people don't have authentic goals in life. They simply imitate what they see other people doing. I guess I'll join the army. It look like that's what everybody else doing. I guess I'll go to nursing school. Shit, that's that's the easy route. That's what everybody else doing. And what many people who venture into these fields, as well as many other fields that qualify for the, ooh, I thought this was the lick. What they will tell you is that it didn't work out because those particular paths didn't vibe with the with them on the authentic level. Those particular roads didn't feel authentic to them. They only went into those fields because it seemed like the thing to do. Just like what car you want. Is, is the car you want based on your authentic self or is it based on what somebody else has told you or what somebody else has shown you or what you saw somebody else get? Same thing with the house you want. Same thing with the type of school you want your children to attend. The type of clothes you wear. All these things, when you are not authentic, are desired based on what society tells you. That God within you, that inner voice, that has to be your God. It has to influence your desires and your goals. That inner voice is what your grandparents call the first mind. How many times have you regretted doing something because you didn't listen to your first mind? You must look at yourself and like what you see, period. 
I cannot express this enough. Self-love is required. You got to look at yourself and like it. You must really accept that you are different, that you are a unique expression of the divine and that you are here to journey your own path. One thing you must do is stop worrying about the judgments of those who see you dance, but who can't hear your music. If you stop to argue with a fool, anyone who watches you can't look and tell who's who. Do you see what I mean? This points to you, too, and that you should also not sit in the seat of judgment. You know that you would not like to be judged. So relieve yourself of the ugly burden of judging others, especially if you can't hear their music. Now, the work here is complicated because we take a lot of superficial things personally, political affiliations, certain orientations, religious or sp spiritual positions. But what we must do is allow everyone the space to be who they are. Being authentic means letting others be authentic themselves. It means allowing others the, the space to like what they see in themselves. Likewise, we can see if we really pay attention, those who are inauthentic, who are following someone else's path. We see it in the music industry and in literature and film and television and everyday life. You know, that person who runs out and gets something because it's the hot thing, not because they actually value it, but because they feel the need to appear a certain way to others where they feel compelled to follow what is popular, even if it means going against who they really are. I think that the person who follows what is popular does not listen to him or herself because listening to oneself means questioning everything to see if it's compatible with your vibration. Number four, always listen to your first mind. This means that you are not easily convinced to do things that are against what you stand for. You don't allow a new love interest to make you neglect your close friends or family, nor do you allow a job to prevent you from making time for your beloved. Why? Because you know your first mind would tell you that you know better. Being authentic also allows you to give high quality notes. You're able to say no confidently to people or things that you don't want to entertain. If it's not nourishing you, then it's not conducive to you being authentic. If it's not nourishing you, then it's actually challenging your authenticity. Listening to your first mind also means you don't put labels on yourself. It's all right to enjoy astrology, but don't blame your poor decisions on Mercury being in retrograde. It's all right to pledge Greek, but understand that the Greek alphabet is an offshoot. It's a spinoff version of the Medunetra and the Phoenician letters and symbols, both of which are African writing symbols. Let's move to number five. Never be ashamed or embarrassed to be who you are. Nietzsche said that to be ashamed of oneself is the same as saying no to life. Those who are overly self-conscious, knowingly or unknowingly, are in a way ashamed of themselves. Now, this isn't a bad thing. This isn't about trying to psychoanalyze anyone. This is based on authenticity because those who are easily controlled manipulated and told what to do are that way because they are ashamed of themselves to the point that they attract shamers those people who play on the shame and use it to keep the manipulated person in their place now we see this all the time in religion the dogma and admonishments are handed down in such a way as to shame the followers into submission to the religion you are shamed by your thoughts your actions your sins I ask this, what real spiritual path would shame you into being a participant? Ultimately, you have no reason to ever feel ashamed. There is nothing new under the sun anyway. Everything that is being done has already been done in one way or another, even our mistakes. You aren't the only person to go through what you're going through or do what you did or say what you said. So why feel ashamed when other folks are out here making the same mistake? You hold yourself accountable by saying, OK, cool, I made that mistake. I learned from it. I'm going to move forward so that I don't make that mistake again. It is not about saying I made that mistake. Woe is me. Here's my pity party. Now I'm a victim. Now it's a mental thing. Now I feel ashamed. Now I can't function. That's how you end up living inauthentically. Number six, be gentle with yourself. This means forgiving yourself for all the mistakes, shortcomings, false starts, delays, bad judgments, poor choices, words of low vibration, errors, delusions, misfires, as well as the things you love, your passion, your dreams. Basically, all the things you've made it through. You must be gentle with yourself because you are an ever evolving being. 
the person you are today is not who you were yesterday and it's certainly not going to be who you are tomorrow. Your thoughts, views, interests, and perceptions change day to day. This is true because who you are right now is not the same as the younger version of you from 10 years ago, is it? In fact, looking back at the you from 10 years ago, you find yourself wanting to be a mentor and give the younger you loving advice for all the things that are to come. As you will come to know if you don't know already, you never know at the time what you will come to know later. So you must be gentle with yourself. The misfires that are happening now in your life, forgive them because a year from now you will look back at this and you will say, damn, that is true. You don't know what you don't know. Furthermore, you will confront many failures, but you don't become a failure, which is to say you will experience many defeats, but you mustn't become defeated. But just as we forgive our past incarnations, we must forgive our present incarnations too. Think back at your younger days. Remember how free you were because you didn't know or care to know of ideologies and the politics of things. You weren't hit with the reality of life and navigating relationships and the 10,000 things of adulthood. Sometimes you just wish you could go back for just one day and feel those free spirited moments again. So go ahead and forgive yourself for what the world has tried to do to you. To be gentle to yourself means that you must be honest with yourself. There's an African saying that says, never trust the naked person who offers you a coat. So then if a person who can't be honest with him or herself, how could they ever be honest with you? And number seven, stay dangerous. That simply means to live dangerously, free of any violent underpinnings. I am talking about living in an exciting way, uninhibited, still responsible, because the greatest fruits produced from a harvest are those by the dangerous, those who dare to plant the seeds of their wildest imaginings, of their wildest dreams, dreams that to an ordinary and authentic mind seem dangerous. It seems so unpopular at times to disconnect from the hive mind, from social media, from the fear of being left out, that it seems dangerous to live in a way that you can simply sit and be with yourself, think for yourself, speak for yourself. The important thing to know here is that you mustn't get stuck in a pattern of behavior that is not yours, a habit pattern that causes you to become unrecognizable. To those who know you and know who you are. Being authentic means you should experiment with life. You should wake up every morning and ask yourself, what do I want to do today to make me happy? Doing this will help you to never abandon who you are. The influence of others on you to join social groups, which are really collections of individuals who copy somebody else's ideas, concepts or manners of behavior. That can cause you to become inauthentic because you will have to accept the group's hive mind and collective ideology. Now, I'm not saying this is always bad, but the group must then display authenticity in its demonstration to prove valuable or worth your time. And this goes for political parties, spiritual leanings, writing groups, book clubs. Any type of group should prove to be authentic in order to qualify for your time. You are not to ever abandon who you are just to stay in the good grace of people around you. You will always be in a crisis of identity if you allow this. As I said at the very beginning of this segment, no price is too high to pay for the privilege of owning oneself. All I can do is try to show and prove by real tenant and an even realer demonstration that people can transform and evolve into the best versions of themselves. Think about all this while we take a smoke break. All right. Now, every episode, every show, I end with the wisdom of the ages, or what I call a message from the ancestors. In my Bamelike tradition, ancestor reverence is quintessential to our spiritual path. We honor and petition for guidance and courage in the making way of our path, those who have crossed over 
to the other life or what we call the Elysian fields. The Bamelike believe in life after life. Therefore, the ancestors are very much active and eager to guide those who are willing to listen. So let those with ears hear. Let those with minds understand. Today's words of wisdom say, by letting go, it all gets done. Or kuachilia yote yanafangika. Most of us are in our early 30s to early mid 40s. If you're younger than 30, I appreciate you for listening. I mean, you know, I'm connecting to you on some type of level. So appreciate that. But we have approximately 2,400 weekends left, if I'm being real with you. If you want to put it in real terms, we have 12,000 more work days left in us. Simplified even further, we have about 35 to 40 more summers. So I say we better get to seriously enjoying this life, this existence of ours. I was told this secret. I'm about to tell y'all. I was told this some years back. One, fuck the small shit. And two, it's all small shit. In the immortal words of Deacon Two Chains, if you woke up this morning, shit, you winning. Smoke break. All right. Welcome back. And it is time to put a bow on this thing, man. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. Hey, we are trying to blow these numbers out. So please subscribe to this podcast. It is Omerta Black. And it is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, subscribe to my channel on YouTube, Mansa Baku. Follow me on IG, Facebook, at Mansa Baku. Connect with me for exclusive content, such as what I mentioned earlier, pertaining to the Moors. It's on Patreon.com backslash Mansa Baku. Follow me on Vero. V-E-R-O dot C-O backslash Mansabaku. And I will see you all next Tuesday. As always, don't maintain, make gains. Every day we trying to evolve. Fuck with your boy.